Um, I don't know, but for men, they do have NASA does have a thing for masturbation, so that you don't have sperm just kind of floating around the entire space station. They have, I don't know if it's a gadget or it's like a hole in the wall or something that lets them masturbate, and collects the semen. Wow, that's worse than wondering if your mom is like outside the bathroom. <laughs> and I guess they are. They can be up there for a while. How did we get here? <laughs> How did we get to masturbating in a space shuttle? Where were we? I'm Chris. I'm Amy. And you're at the movies with the madams. Hey, everybody. Welcome back for part two of our two-part Jurassic Park series. Yes. This time we're going to get into the movie proper. Yes, and there is much to talk about because this movie exists, because life uh, finds a way. Yes, and unfortunately because of that, we have the sequels and the sequels and the Jurassic Worlds. Yeah, and if you haven't listened to part one yet, we talk a little bit about those. Uh, the magic that is Steven Spielberg mm -hmm. and some other topics around the movie. But now we're going to dive in and we're going to make this kind of an overarching episode about all the different themes that are woven through this movie. Yeah, because for a monster movie, it still is pretty deep. Absolutely. I think it's safe to say it's the deepest monster movie you're going to watch. Mm -hmm. Even more so than Jaws, just because of the nature debate that we're going to get into. Right. So we'll start with this idea of evolution. Not biological. Not going to get into that here. <laughs> because it exists, so there's nothing to get into. How about that? Yeah, and neither of us are qualified enough to be speaking about evolution as a whole. Well, that too. But I want to talk more about people evolving. Mm -hmm. Just in terms of maturity and growing as people, because I think we have two great examples of that uh, in and around this movie. Right. So Alan Grant's first words in this movie, I think, speak volumes. It's a perfect foundation for his character. Do you remember what he says? I hate computers. Yes. And this is just a Spielberg wink wink that Alan Grant himself is a dinosaur. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. He's very old school in that sense. And I also think that part of it is at that time, there was this trope of the hero being someone who's anti-technology for the most part. Being nerdy wasn't cool then. That's true. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Thinking back to all those uh, 90 sitcoms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there was no Sheldon back then. No better times <laughs> personally mm -hmm. and this is where the casting of sam neill is so important too because he just embodies this scientist professor completely yeah i agree yeah if alan grant had been teaching like anthropology when i was in college i would have gladly taken one of his classes mm -hmm. yeah he seems like you know on one hand, he seems like he could be a good teacher, but he gets so pissy with the kids that he doesn't seem to have the patience. Well, those are younger kids. And I think mm -hmm. in a classroom setting where he'd be with kids who are actually interested, 
uh, mm-hmm. but quiet about it and there specifically to learn from him and not be combative, I think he'd be great. Okay. In his element. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, instead for anthropology, I got some crackpot named Dr. Juris Milestone. I swear the man was a cartoon. <laughs> I thought it, when he showed up, it was an actual person. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> what was so cartoony about him? That name. Come on, Dr. Well, Juris true. Milestone. No, no. <laughs> thought he was going to be twirling a mustache. Did he have a mustache? No. And I actually remember nothing from that class. Okay. Not a thing. All right. <laughs> but what I love about Alan is that then as they're moving through the park, talking more with John, he's never obstinate in any way. He just says, in terms of his job, what this can mean, I guess we'll have to evolve too. Yeah. And that's a very healthy approach to him basically seeing his entire career blow up on this island yeah and i just wish more people would take that kind of view and choose Mm -hmm. growth and progress rather than you know just staying entrenched and bitter in their ways yeah but in a way scientists have to be that way if they're entrenched in their own mindset then they can't you can't have new discoveries Mm mm-hmm And I think Jurassic Park also shows Steven Spielberg's evolution as both a man and a filmmaker. How so? He hasn't always been great with women. Mm -hmm. Just all you got to do is watch Temple of Doom for that one. Jesus Christ, I have to admit that that movie exists briefly. (laughs) That one I may have made me throw up as a child. Okay. Ah, that movie. Anyway. So Spielberg could have made this movie without Ellie Sattler. Both of those kids could have been boys instead. Right. Yeah. But instead of taking that road, we got these amazing performances from Laura Dern and Ariana Richards with these great, fully fleshed out characters, both of them, even a like 13-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that adds so much to the movie. Yeah, and Ellie is not just the love interest. She's not a damsel in distress. Oh, I don't think she's a love interest at all. Yeah, exactly. She's not just a love interest. Yeah. And at the end of the movie, Spielberg also could have killed Ellie instead of Mm -hmm. Muldoon. You know, sacrificed her for Alan's emotional arc. Mm -hmm. But instead, he kills the guy who was supposed to be the expert. You know, the guy who could handle his shit. Right. It's, I think it's very well done. Yeah, it's well done. I think killing her off would have been a disservice to the movie as a whole. A hundred percent. Which, unfortunately, the other sequels have not learned from. Well, you know what, Amy? You know what happened with the sequels? They were so busy worrying about if they could, they didn't think about if they should. <laughs> I have those feelings right now for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah, yeah, I knew you would. You finally got around to it. Mm-hmm. I regret it. So next we have the idea of, and this is another area where there's just so much depth, the accountability for technological advancements. I wouldn't be surprised if this was one of those movies where this is the first time we're discussing these kind of topics. I mean, sure, we have the Star Treks and all of that where they they have this 
the discussion of technological advancement versus what's good and bad and things like that. But this is a different breed of advancement. Yes, because this is also grounded in our reality. You know, we're not out in space Mm -hmm. somewhere. Right. This seems like it could happen. Like it's an idea that we might have to consider. Yeah. And in a lot of ways today, we are afraid of having sentient AI, like the Terminator series, Skynet. Yeah. I mean, we think about it. The dinosaurs are smartphones. Smartphones are a different kind of monster, you know? True. And there is a major lack of accountability and social responsibility for this monster of technology. I mean, there's a reason the people who make smartphones don't let their kids have them. Mm -hmm. You hear that all the time. Yeah. And even those who develop apps don't use them themselves because they know how addicting it can be. Yes. And that's exactly the could versus should conversation. Right. And I'm with Ian Malcolm every time when he says what you call discovery, I call the rape of the natural world. Yeah, true. I mean, we have to look no further than fossil fuels and deforestation for all of that. Yeah, true. Because that's the thing. Does it have to mean the rape of the natural world? No, but we're humans. So that's that. We're humans, but we're also not willing to... Greed is such a strong factor, as is in this movie, that we're not willing to look at alternatives because this entire park could have been created with animatronics. Yes, Spielberg proved that. Yeah. (laughs) But Hammond chose not to. Hammond chose to play God. Yeah, well, the animatronics is the flea circus. Mm -hmm. His ego. Yeah, yeah. So let's get into that. This theme of man versus nature. And I think the, the concept of masculinity and what it means is really tied in with this too. Yeah, and I think the movie sums it up really well when Malcolm says, God created earth, God created dinosaurs, God killed dinosaurs, God created man, man killed God, man created dinosaurs. Woman inherits the earth. Yep. I love her. I love her so much. You know, (laughs) several years ago, I think, I'm not sure if we were in Biloxi or California, but there was a couple who were dressed up for Halloween as Alan and Ellie, and they looked absolutely perfect. Yeah, and I really like that this entire movie, there's no fancy costumes or anything, but Alan's costume, it's so iconic with the red handkerchief and the blue shirt. You'll recognize him anywhere. The bandana makes a difference, and so does the fact that Ellie ties her shirt together. Mm -hmm. It's those little touches. Yeah. So I think Gennaro's arrival is uh, Niles Crane entrance here at the island (laughs) is a great character entrance for him because one, it tells us about him, but it also says something larger about the movie. Mm -hmm. Clearly this man does not belong here and and neither do the dinosaurs. Absolutely. Yes. And I always love to, my favorite moment of this movie is the first reveal of the Brachiosaurus. I cry every time. It's beautiful. That score moves me so much. It doesn't matter how many times I see this movie. It is so beautiful. It's my favorite score of all time. And after that reveal, there's an important score change that I feel like it's it's a turning point for the movie and it's awesome. 
things mm-hmm. start to get tense. And it, I feel like John Williams is giving us all a wake up call mm-hmm. in that moment of, oh, hold on. Oh, I know I just blew you guys away, but uh, mm, this isn't a good thing. Yeah. The score and the visuals in this movie for the first 15 minutes when everyone is being introduced to Jurassic Park and the island and BC, the Brachiosaurus, it feels like that moment of perfection. You know, so many of us, we go to Disney World and it's, everyone says, oh, it's the, hap- it's the happiest place on earth. You really feel like that when you're there for a while. It's like you're in a different world and everything else just sort of disappears. You actually feel that sensation when you're watching this movie. And I, for, for that time, when I watched this movie twice in the last week, I kept feeling like, oh, I wouldn't mind going there knowing exactly what happens after that but still that feeling was there like that sense of escapism and just revelry in this perfect beauty yeah absolutely i i cried when i walked into diagon alley <laughs> i get it mm-hmm. and the one thing that has always like really grossed me out with this movie it's not the sneeze it's mm-hmm. not samuel jackson's arm it's this baby raptor, man. <laughs> I mean, it's gross. Sure. I mean, it's, it's just come out of the egg. So obviously it's going to be gross. But I think it's important for us to see that because A, it cements the fact that this is real. These are real monsters. This is not Skynet Part 2. And even in something so dangerous, we can still see innocence and beauty yeah yeah because they sure do oh ellie especially just thinks this little guy is adorable or little gal is adorable yeah she also seems to have a case of baby fever i wouldn't call it fever we're gonna get into that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's what i like about it um but you know what it doesn't matter Amy, because uh don't worry there's no unauthorized breeding in jurassic park sure whatever makes you happy i also like vd wong I thoroughly enjoyed him in his years on Law and Order, which he may still be on. I don't know if that show is still going on uh, televisions, <laughs> you know, somewhere where, where people have died and it's just still there. I think Law and Order is still on. Yeah, one of them at least. I don't know which iteration. Yeah, but something is still on. I mean, really think about that statement. Take it out of Jurassic Park and mm-hmm. extrapolate that to the wider world. The cruelty of it. That there's no breeding? Yes. The arrogance of that idea. Think about if the government tried to restrict human procreation in this way. And people have tried it. The Nazis tried this. People have tried it, but China has by far been pretty successful with it. So much so that the population level is now dropping and they are going to do something to boost birth rates. You know, I hadn't even thought about China's one child policy. I forgot all about it. Mm hmm. And I mean, there's plenty of reasons why China was able to do that. That would never, ever happen in the U.S. The reason why China was able to do it was because of the authoritarian regime. You guys are not there yet, but if left unchecked, who knows what happens? You know what? You're right. I was thinking of it from the other way around. But you're right. If the Trumpers had their way, they would go the Nazi route and try to restrict procreation of anybody they see as less than which covers a whole lot of people Mm -hmm. 
But I was thinking of it from the other way around of the Christian right would never, ever allow something like that if it came from the left in any way. You see what I'm saying? So it would have to be restricted in a super fascist way to minority groups. Yes. Yeah. If the Christian right had their way, there wouldn't be a condom to be found. (laughs) And aside from that, NASA has tried an all-female policy. So their Mars mission is going to be an all-female crew of astronauts so that nobody has sex. Because they want to make sure they're preventing pregnancy? Yes. Okay, then that makes sense. I mean, they could still have mm-hmm. sex, but they're not going to be able to no. procreate. No, the goal is not accidental procreation, is no sex. Why? Is there something oh, inherently no. wrong with having sex at a space shuttle? Or did they just... Would that be uncomfortable for others? Is it that kind of thing? Like, I also don't understand why they can't, they don't think astronauts could self-regulate. Or maybe it's a thing with like the space dementia from Armageddon that doesn't exist. I don't know. Um, I don't know. But for men, they do have, NASA does have a thing for masturbation so that you don't have sperm just kind of floating around the entire space station. They have I don't know if it's a gadget or it's like a hole in the wall or something that lets them masturbate and collects the semen. Wow, that's worse than wondering if your mom is like outside the bathroom. (laughs) And I guess they are. They can be up there for a while. How did we get here? (laughs) How did we get to masturbating in a space shuttle? Where were we? So yes, restricting procreation. It's when... Alan realizes it's a raptor that just came out of that egg. That's when he really starts to get nervous and and lose and come come back to his senses. Yeah, yeah. Because prior to that, the only ones he saw were uh, herbivores. Vegisaurus. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, and it's not only the raptor, but it's the feeding of the cow to the T-Rex that is for for Alan and Ellie, further evidence that Hammond does not truly know what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Right. Because T-Rex doesn't want to be fed. T-Rex wants to hunt. Yeah. 68 million years of instinct. Could you imagine like T-Rex trying to cut his food? How hilarious would that be? I think I've seen a cartoon somewhere of that sort. Can't reach the plate. But, yeah. Tiny little arms. <laughs> Love it. You know why T-Rexes can be so combative? Oh, boy. Why, Amy? (laughs) Because their arms are too short. You know, they can't get a good fab. Should have never gone to NASA. See, this is what happens with with tangents. This is where her (laughs) mind goes. And another thing I love about Ian Malcolm here is that for all his bravado as a person, he actually has the most humility before nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he's the first one to bring it up. Yes. Yeah. He's got that rock star persona, but underneath is a very serious scientist. Yes. And the persona is just that. It's a persona. I wanted to ask you about this. The costuming choices of John Hammond Mm -hmm. and Ian Malcolm, all white versus Mm -hmm. all black. Right. What do you think the message is there? Because it's 100% deliberate. Well, Hammond is wearing all white. He's wearing that straw hat. It's very typical of like a rich white person would wear to like an African excursion. So that kind of tells you where his mindset is. Okay. It's kind of like a safari suit. Okay. 
you know so that tells you that for him this is fun this is like he's experiencing the wilderness you know that kind of thing but with malcolm all black well of course you know they're trying to make him look cool like this rock star and all of that that's one aspect of it and the fact that his shirt just seems to break all the buttons (laughs) after the t-rex attack (laughs) tells you about that but for malcolm he's a mathematician he's not someone who's used to exploring the wild so for him to not be dressed appropriately also makes sense I just sent Amy a picture of the Jeff Goldblum, Ian Malcolm statue in London, <laughs> which I knew she had never seen before. No, I had not. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> it's, it's something. How much better would Thor 2 have been if that statue showed up in it? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. Seeing that statue would have made the last 25 minutes of that movie tolerable. <laughs> Well, I think there's something deeper going on with those costumes for sure. Mm -hmm. I think Hammond's in all white because he sees himself as a godlike figure. Look what he's done. Mm -hmm. True. Yeah. And it's a subconscious thing. He doesn't understand that's what he's made himself. Right. Fully. It's it's there, but it's not. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons we can't hate him. And what bothers me is I don't even want to. Yeah, in any other movie, any other actor, we would hate this guy. Mm -hmm. But here we do not. We actually feel for him. We do. And it drives me up a fucking wall because I don't (laughs) want to. Yeah. But damn you, Richard Attenborough. Gotta be this adorable old man. And I think about him too, playing Santa in the remake of uh, Miracle on 34th Street, I think a year year later with the, the little girl from Mrs. Doubtfire. And even before shit hits the fan, nature is thwarting Hammond and he cannot deal with it. Yeah, with the storm, right? Yeah, yeah. Can't, with the hurricane. Can't control the weather, John. Yeah, true. You know, and that's what Sam Jackson's trying to tell him too. hmm And that's the key. Hammond is the villain of the movie. No question. The monsters are not the villain. Yeah. We're afraid of them, but they're not evil. They're not bad. We just fear them. We fear them. And the monsters are doing what they know. They're living their lives. Yeah, living their best lives. In Costa Rica, <laughs> they are just doing what Hammond designed them to do. Mm-hmm. And what's great is that yeah, the raptors in particular are clearly shown to be smarter than people. Yeah, most people. Yeah, yeah. It's a big old fuck you from nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I can attest to this in canine form. Since she was a baby, we have called our natty, our little raptor, because she's got that long snoot, the crazy eyes, and I swear she attacks from the sides. (laughs) Our cat never sees her coming. Mm -hmm. I mean, if your cat never sees her coming, that's sneaky. Yeah, it's more of a side pounce. Uh Fortunately, though, at least natty doesn't want to eat Becky, just wants to play with her. Although it took quite a while to determine which. Uh-huh. And so we mentioned those 8% of assholes on Rotten Tomatoes who knock this movie. Some of those people knock it for the ending. Why? Because it ends on a... That almost everyone survives? No, because they view 
the T-Rex charging in to eat the raptors as a deus ex machina. Uh-huh. Okay. And I have never seen it that way at all. I think it's master storytelling from Spielberg. Why is it master storytelling? It's the reinforcement of nature's power. The reinforcement that Hammond was never in control of this, of how T-Rex wants to hunt. And this is nature taking its ultimate course. Yeah. And also the cycle of nature. There's always a bigger predator ahead of you, bigger than you. Exactly. And come on. the t- You can't make a dinosaur movie and not acknowledge that the T-Rex is the king of the dinosaurs. Yeah. Or in true. this case, the queen. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we looked up her skirt. We could tell. <laughs> Where do you think would be the male dinosaur's penis on the body? God, I should have seen this one coming. I really should have. You started it. Well, you know, that's the kind of thing that you normally don't see. You know, that they cover up with like Donald Duck's long shirt or Goofy's pants. Right. But in this case, you don't have that. No, but we don't need to see dinosaur red rockets either. I'm just wondering about the anatomy of it. Well, they didn't have to worry about it because there were no males, except for the one like male that we didn't see that obviously procreated with a female. The eggs. Yeah. So I'm not thinking about it in terms of the movie. I'm thinking about it in terms of how would they have sex? How would dinosaurs have sex? Like doggy style or what? I'm going to file this away into things that I don't want to know, don't care about. (laughs) Okay. Call Hanna-Barbera. Find out if that ever, if that was a thought in their animation for the Flintstones. I think they've gone the way of the dinosaur as well. I don't know. So we've tiptoed around John Ammon's arrogance here. Let's really get into it. The man who Mm -hmm. can tell instantly about people. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Buddy, sure. It is so ridiculous and arrogant to say that. He believes it. Yeah, he does. And it's important to look back on that moment, you know, within the next 10 minutes, because Mr. Hammond, if you were really able to tell instantly about people like that, yeah, you don't hire Dennis Nedry, buddy. Yeah, that's true. And of course, his catchphrase throughout the movie, spared no expense. True. And that's that's a boast for him. That's his ego. Absolutely. And he, again, doesn't see it that way. He sees Mm -hmm. it as letting these scientists know they did this right. They they put the work in, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but really it's the arrogance of a rich white man who thinks he control any control anything if he has enough money. Right. Yeah. And he also has to put himself at the forefront of everything. Yeah, it was not necessary for him to be a part of the presentation, the video presentation, for sure. Not at all. And Mm -hmm. you can see being part of that, being there for every single birth, he does not see what a total control freak he is. Mm -hmm. And it's also his ego that's pushing forward that he wants to be there for every birth because I did this. I birthed them. Exactly. Wants them to imprint on him. You know, recognize mm-hmm. him as my creator. Mm-hmm. And, and like we said, that's why the casting is so brilliant, because everything is couched in these noble intentions that I do believe he has. He just mm-hmm. doesn't understand what's underlying it. Right. 
And like, even when he gives other people credit for things, he always brings it back to himself. Right. Like, I gave you the opportunity to do this. I made all of this possible. Right. Question. Yes. Do you think that John Hammond told his daughter there were dinosaurs on that island before she sent her kids there alone? Yeah, because Tim knew about it. Tim was super excited. And Tim also wasn't surprised to be meeting Dr. Grant. That's true. That's true. Now it makes me wonder just how much Tim knew, just exactly what Tim expected. Because, man, if that mother knowingly sent those kids there, knowing there's dinosaurs, either one, she's as delusional as her father, or two, she is the worst mother in the history of the world. Well, we get that throwaway line in the beginning of the movie that Hammond isn't there because he's with his daughter who's going through a divorce. So it could come across as she's going through a rough time. So she kind of let grandpa take care of the kids. And even if grandpa said, oh, they're dinosaurs, it's going to be amazing. It's not a stretch for her to imagine it's going to be like an animatronic dinosaur, another one of his theme parks. Yeah, that's what I mean. Not actual dinosaurs. I don't I can't imagine he told her the truth. Maybe. Yeah. I just wonder about that. But if he's not willing to risk his own grandchildren, he's so sure that his grandchildren are going to be safe, that he doesn't go along with them, first of all. How could he open up this theme park to any other kids? Yeah, it's just incredibly naive. Mm -hmm. And it's also clear that he's been ignoring Muldoon's advice. Yes. In a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Not just because... Muldoon's very frustrated with him. It's more than just, you know, locking the Jeep doors, which, dude, how do you not lock the damn doors? Yeah, it's there by default. That's the equivalent of leaving your doors unlocked in a sketchy apartment in Brooklyn. Well, Mm -hmm. no, not Brooklyn, not now. Uh, 20 years ago, say. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Baltimore. There we go. I should know. I'm 10 minutes away from it. (laughs) yeah that's just asking for trouble if you allow people to be able to walk where the dinosaurs are but in his mind everyone is safe on that track and we have those electrified fences everywhere Mm. and then we hear about the lysine contingent yeah that's inhumane i mean it was inhumane to bring them back in the first place to create them true yeah but after creating them to let them be destroyed in this way Of course it's inhumane, but it could also be, in this case, entirely necessary because, oh, we never should have done this. We fucked up. Now we're screwed. So now Mm -hmm. we have to do what needs to be done for the good of society. Right. And, I mean, should Hammond do this? Yes, of course he should. Mm -hmm. But he still won't do it. Even though it's foolproof, he still values his park more than the lives of all of these people, including his own grandkids. Well, he does tell Muldoon to go find his grandkids. Oh, good for him. And secondly, he's so deep in denial after spending all this time and money to build this, and this has been his dream since God knows how many years, that he's not willing to let go. He still thinks everything's going to be fine. Yeah, good luck seeing those kids ever again after this. No more visits (laughs) with Grandpa. No, but to be fair, in Hammond's defense, everything could have gone fine 
had it not been for Ned Ray's bullshit. The storm in itself was dangerous, which could have caused some damage, but Ned Ray shut everything down, which is not something that you could foresee. But that's also John's fault, because he hired a despicable human being to do the job. Yes, that I agree. One who he knew had all of this bitterness, all of these financial issues. He knows he's an absolute bastard. And you hire mm-hmm. him to be in charge of a project of this magnitude where people's lives are at stake? Yeah, I agree. And I don't think everything would be fine. And I think that's part of what the movie is trying to say in various ways that we'll get to is that, no, it wouldn't mm-hmm. have been okay. Because the human factor would have always occurred. Something would have always gone wrong because it's impossible to control these creatures. Right. In the long term, yes, something or the other could have, would have gone wrong. But as of that day, it was the perfect storm. Now that's a movie that made me nauseous. <laughs> I could not deal with the rocket of the boat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about Dr. Grant. Mm-hmm. So it's fun here in the beginning when they're headed to the island, the way he has two, uh, quote, female seatbelts on the plane. Yeah, that actually pissed me off. Why? Because Dr. Grant is not someone who's like uh, a nerdy scientist who's never traveled. Clearly, he's traveling around the world, digging up dinosaurs and all of that. So for him to not know that which is the seatbelt, which is the male and the female and all of that, it, it pissed me off. Oh, it wasn't a matter of not knowing. It just wasn't there. It wasn't. It was there. Ellie had the male part of the seatbelt. They could have just exchanged or looked a little bit and done it. They didn't have to do this whole him tying it up. It made him look like the the village idiot. Well, you and I have been doing this show for two and a half years. And yesterday, I still had the wrong plug plugged into my USB port here and thought it was my mic and couldn't understand why my mic was not working. So... (laughs) (laughs) But I like this because I like this for what it shows us about Alan. He does have a little sense of humor. And Mm -hmm. the way Sam Neill plays this, he looks so proud of himself when he ties them together. (laughs) Because he like he knows he fucked up. He's like, ah, I'll just fix this like this real quick. Yeah. And I mean, it's showing that he has that ability to improvise and not panic. And I feel like it's a subtle nod also to how much this guy respects Ellie and women in general. Mm-hmm. And his reaction is my favorite to the Brachiosaurus. He reverts to a little boy, just yeah, like that before your eyes. Yep, yep. Anyone would. It's amazing. But I mean, especially for him, this is a guy who's, who's been playing with dinosaurs since he could walk. True. This is also validation of his life's work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that all the theorizing is actually true. And he was right. And I think in a lot of ways, he is the role model for for manhood, for healthy manhood, because we see he's so moved and he's not afraid to let everybody see it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like you said, we see there he can improvise. He takes control of this crisis very naturally with the kids. Yeah, he does. And he's cool. He's calm. He's improvising on the go. He's the reason these kids are alive. Yeah. And that's a technical brain. That's a science brain. Mm-hmm. Like Alan Grant is how my husband would be in a crisis. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is great because I would not be. 
<laughs> you don't need to say that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, in this case, in Alan Grant's case, having that low EQ comes in handy. <laughs> and, you know, I have to wonder too a little bit about him. And that's what makes this movie so compelling too, is you wonder a little bit about their backstories. Because for a man who doesn't like kids, he's excellent with them. Yeah. And I wonder, is he just afraid of kids because he's never been around them? Because they're like foreign creatures? You know? Mm -hmm. Either that or he may have younger siblings and he had to help raise them. And he's kind of done with that. I don't think so because he, he kind of just seems like these are entities he doesn't understand. Like he very much, uh, he very much reminds me of my husband when we first met our nephew and he had to be shown <laughs> how to hold him and was just like sweating the whole time. Mm -hmm. He would have been more comfortable like holding a pumpkin, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, if you break a pumpkin, no big, but if you drop a baby who breaks like a pumpkin, that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Like Alan though, he's gotten better. I know I'm terrified when I hold a baby. I've got experience taking care of babies, but I'm still terrified of holding a baby. Now, see, I love babies. I love babies and toddlers. But once they can really start to talk back, like around once they hit like four, unless you are mine in some way, please go away. Yeah, I don't like children who start talking. Before that, they're cute. But I'm talking about like a newborn where their neck is still not able to hold oh, their course. weight. That's sure. terrifying. I could snap their neck by mistake and that could be a problem. Yeah, a little bit. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which is why I'm terrified. Yeah, well, moving on to the man who loves kids, we have mm -hmm. Ian Malcolm. Yeah, I don't know if he likes kids as so much as he likes making kids. Well, he says he loves kids. We see in the sequels mm -hmm. him, you know, interacting with at least one kid. Okay. And, you know, we touched on this just a little bit in part one, but anybody else would have made Ian Malcolm slimy. Yeah, the lines are there to make him seem slimy, but he isn't. No, we never see him as a creep when he's kind of hitting mm -hmm. on Ellie because he does have a charm about him. It's not a, a classic charm. It's a Goldblum charm. It's unique to him. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And Ellie doesn't seem uncomfortable. No, never. I don't think yeah. she quite takes him seriously either in that way. Yeah, true. And I also really like Malcolm's apology to Alan because he genuinely didn't know they were together. Yeah, if you look at them through this movie, you do not really see Alan and Ellie, you know, be coupley in any sense. Aside from just the beginning shot where she's putting the bandana around his neck. That's it. Yeah, and they had the little talk about kids. Yeah. Right. So it's perfectly understandable for Malcolm to not know. Totally. And I think that was part of it for Ellie too, knowing that eventually he's going to find out and feel kind of mm -hmm. stupid. Yeah. And I actually like the fact that he didn't assume they were together. Right. It's more respectful. Mm -hmm. True. And it's also interesting when the first bits of poo start hitting the fan here, Malcolm is unwilling to admit that he's scared in mm -hmm. the car. He didn't want to look like in his eyes weak in front of Alan. Right. Yeah. Do you think that was just dude to dude that he would have done that with any dude or something about Alan specifically? Was it maybe because Alan was so calm, cool, and collected, genuinely? I think it was because Alan was so cool, calm, and collected. I think even with Ellie, he probably wouldn't want to admit that he was afraid. Yes. I think he'd be fine admitting it in front of the kids mm -hmm. to show them it's okay. Yeah. 
That strategically makes sense. Yeah. And I think we do understand when he creates this diversion, how he feels about kids because these aren't even his. And yeah. he is risking his life to save them. Yes. And he's helping Alan also he is. do that. Yeah. He, he doesn't quite know what he's doing. He thinks he's doing the right thing. And in a way, mm -hmm. he is, he's successfully creating the diversion, but he didn't need to become a snack in the process. Right. Yeah. But thankfully, he was not quite so shish -kebabbed. Yeah. I think Ian Malcolm has a very strong moral compass and he's always got his priorities straight. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, I'm not a fan of his dating approach as always looking for the next ex-Mrs. Malcolm. That seems <laughs> counterintuitive. It does, but it also tells us so much about him. You know, he is a happy-go-lucky guy and he probably knows he's not good at maintaining relationships. He's charming, but he doesn't, he's not willing to put in the work to have that long-term relationship with one person. Yeah. And he admits it and he knows what he's he's getting into and he'd probably let the other person know as well. And you know, that's such a great line when Alan asks him, are you married? Occasionally. <laughs> yeah. And now we come to Muldoon. I really like this guy a lot. Yeah, I like him too. But since this movie, there have been so many Muldoon copycats that at this point, going back and seeing this movie makes him look like a trope. Amy, it's not his fault. It's not his fault. Are you good with hunting? Yes. <laughs> so I actually see him as a very noble character. Mm -hmm. I think he accepts all the sense of responsibility and accountability that Hammond does not. Yeah. And you have to have somebody like that. Otherwise, Hammond would have let these dinosaurs run amok. Amok, 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 amok. <laughs> Yeah. And that's exactly the point. That is what Muldoon understands. He knew because like he already works for Hammond. He's his game warden mm -hmm. in Kenya. Right. So he knows this guy. He knows that Hammond is going to build this place no matter what, with or without him. Mm -hmm. And it's not arrogance here. I think it's Muldoon having confidence in his own expertise and abilities, knowing that he's the best man for this job. And that's why he does it out of a sense of duty to be like the adult in the room. Yeah. And a part of him probably feels like it's his moral responsibility to keep everyone safe from Hammond. Exactly. He says it himself. He does not agree with what Hammond's doing. He says they should all be destroyed. He means it. Right. Yeah. And it's tough because he clearly wants to do right by the animals too and protect people. Mm -hmm. Yes. This is a guy with a very healthy respect for nature. Right. Like, even when he's about to die, he respects the raptor's haunting ability. Yeah, true. I look at my monster at least once a week and say, clever girl. <laughs> she thinks I'm not going to see her, though, sticking her snoot in my garbage can looking for used tissues. You think mommy's not going to notice, little girl? Can't catch me on no that used one. used tissues. Oh, dogs love used tissues. Love okay. them. All right. And a lot of times they don't eat them. They just like to tear them up. That I can understand. And I mean, we're talking about a dog who ate her kitty sister's puke. So she's not picky. Yeah. Yeah. True. I saw a kitten once eating a child's puke. Yeah. 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 That's what they do. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the question about Gennaro. Mm -hmm. 
if he hadn't been in the car with the kids, if he had been in the car with Malcolm and Grant, do you think he still would have run for the bathroom? Eventually, yes. At first, he would have tried to take control in the sense of let's all run away. And if none of them would have agreed, he would have run himself. I, I'm not going to help you guys. I'm out of here. And here's another question. If they were all in one car together and Gennaro tried mm -hmm. to run, do you think Malcolm would have let him? Malcolm, maybe. Grant, no. Yeah, I don't think if it was a matter of jeopardizing the kids, they'd have strapped mm -hmm. him the fuck down. Right. Yeah. But them struggling to get Gennaro back in also is a lot of movement. They would have been fucked either way mm. with the T-Rex. Yeah. And another little piece that I think is important, and you know, we talk about this a lot in terms of female representation, but I think this is one of those little things where this is something a man would think to put in more is Tim being embarrassed because he threw up in the car. Mm -hmm. After all that, after everything that happened. Every time that line, I just want to hug that baby. Yeah. It's so sad. It's like, honey, after mm -hmm. all you went through, I wouldn't mind if you shat yourself too. <laughs> yeah. And it's not only but the terror of the T-Rex, but the car was spinning and yeah. dropping and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I reacted way stronger to uh, the men in black ride. Let me tell you. Then Tim does there. My husband will tell you. <laughs> Tim handles a, a fucking T-Rex attack way better than I handled being in a little cart spinning around shooting aliens. <laughs> so have you ever been on that, like the teacup ride? God, no. Okay. For the record, I did not know the men in black ride was going to do what it did. Okay. <laughs> so now let's talk about money. Yeah. The whole reason Jurassic Park exists. Yes. So we have greedy Dennis Nedry. Mm -hmm. We have Gennaro. And then we have the unseen investors, along with Hammond, of course. Mm -hmm. And I swear, Nedry holding that bag of cash was like when I held my nephew for the first time. <laughs> Which is so sad. Now, I think this says something about 1993 in regards to Dennis Nedry. I personally found it a little funny that Sam Jackson is so grossed out about Nedry's workstation. But he's chain smoking the whole movie. Yeah. At that time, chain smoking wasn't considered quite as gross as it is today. But Nedry is also a gross character. Oh, absolutely. But but Sam Jackson has no business throwing stones. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but Sam Jackson also is a lot more professional, even though he constantly has a cigarette yeah. in his mouth. Yeah. He must have been reeking through that entire shoot. And... Nedry is a great villain too. Yeah. Because him... You really hate him right from the moment you see him. And the fact that they cast Newman added to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In the opposite way that we're rooting for Hannibal Lecter at the end of Silence of the Lambs, we are totally rooting for the Dilophosaurus when Nedry rolls in. <laughs> yeah. And at that time, he even tells the, the creature... Oh, you're so dumb. No wonder you went extinct. Uh-huh. Yeah, stick. Here, stick, stupid. Yeah. I will say that one does work with my dog. She does love her sticks. <laughs> and what she has said stick, I cannot catch her. Mm-hmm. I need, I need my own lysine contingent where she just goes to sleep, where I can hit a button and she just, she just goes to sleep so we don't have to chase her in the rain. Yeah, true. 
then you'll have to carry her in the rain. I have to do that half the time anyway. Because she just <laughs> flops dead weight on me. There, that's your Lysine contingency. It's just that you're not in control. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and where Malcolm shows the most respect for nature, Nedry shows the least. Mm-hmm. Yes. The fact that he's willing to just shut everything down says so much about him. Yeah. That he's thinking only of himself. And man, I was so happy for that Dilophosaurus too. That was like a fucking sirloin steak for him. You know? <laughs> All the trimmings. Mm-hmm. And it's a great death. Because we got the plant earlier on the ride through the park of exactly what that species does with the right. spitting, uh, yes. which is really well done. That, that thing is scary. It is. Of course it is. And the sound design of it, of course, is fantastic, just like all the rest of the dinosaur sounds. Yeah, this, uh, the sound of the Dilophosaurus reminds me a lot of like a rattlesnake. Yeah, I think there was some rattlesnake in it. Mm-hmm. The T-Rex was like five different animals. Uh, Dilophosaurus right. was a different set of animals. You, you know what it reminded me of too? And no coincidence with Spielberg, it reminded me of the gremlins. Okay. A little bit, especially the way like mm-hmm. side wings came up on the face. Right. Yeah. And the face itself. And that's a very po- common um, intimidation te- tactic with a lot of animals. Yeah. To make themselves seem bigger. Yeah. And it's a very satisfying death. Mm-hmm. And brutal too, even though we don't see it. Yeah, it is brutal. And it we pan to the can over there, which is getting covered up with mud. Yeah. Wayne Knight's got a great scream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's move on to the feminism of this movie, Mm -hmm. which I love. And I couldn't help this time thinking about uh, the single sex environment. Themyscira came to mind. Okay. Now that's not a place I would be opposed to visiting either. I know, or residing it permanently. Yes. If you never hear from me again, you know where I am. And I guess Diana there is the example of life finding a way. True. It just makes me wonder, like, what could happen, you know? What what could happen in what sense? I don't know, because Malcolm is right. Life does find a way. Life Mm -hmm. does find a way to carry on. So, like, if the rest of the world was obliterated and only Themyscira was left, only an all-female population of warriors, what could happen for life to continue? Yeah, and also there is science that is being developed with you don't need sperm in order to create an embryo and all of that. In order to fertilize an embryo. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's still in infancy, but it's technically possible. I don't know. Part of me kind of wants it to stay there. That, that, Why? Um, oh, that's a could-should question, I think. There's a lot wrapped up in there. There is, but in an ideal world, a lesbian couple could have a biological child that is both of theirs. Yeah, you know what? It's 8.22 in the morning. I can't unpack all that right now. (laughs) And I think this movie gets a total A plus for women's representation. And these two just culturally, Mm -hmm. they don't get enough credit as great heroines. Yeah. And so you mentioned earlier, uh, Ellie having baby fever. So I think David Kapp, who wrote this movie along with Spielberg, I think they actually do a great job along with uh, Dern's performance of Mm -hmm. showing that Ellie actually, she's not baby crazy. She just would like to have kids. There's a difference, you know? Right. And she is in a relationship with 
Alan right now, clearly we can see that he would make a great dad if he wanted to. I don't know about that. Okay. That might be, that might be going a little too far, but Mm -hmm. she's shown as, as both a woman who would like to have kids one day and a woman very much devoted to her career. Mm -hmm. You can be both. Yeah, of course. You know, and I don't want children, nor can I have them, but I have no problem with women who do want children. Mm -hmm. Now, women who have baby fever, that's a different story. Those are people I would prefer not to spend time with. Yeah. Wanting a baby for the sake of it is never a good recipe. Yeah. And I also love, I wonder if this was an add-in, a throw-in, if Ariana Richards had anything to do with this. But I love the fact that Lex is a vegetarian. Mm-hmm. Why? Because she's 13, which tells you it's clearly a choice she made on her own. Right. Because Tim's also not. Mm-hmm. And he kind of teases her about it. So we know it's right. not something their parents forced upon her. Right. Yeah. She probably is the only vegetarian in the family. Yes. So she has a very strong sense of self and also a strong moral compass. Because we understand, oh, she's not doing this for health reasons. She's doing this for humane reasons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we can see she's completely horrified at the idea of the goat being eaten. Yes. And, you know, even if we don't feel the same way, we respect her for having the principle. Yes, true. Because she's also not super in your face about it. Like, I don't know, the kind of undergraduate that I used to be uh, at one time. (laughs) Or also... Those stupid protesters who threw threw tomato soup on Van Gogh's painting because they're protesting oil. Yeah. Yeah. Those those two things have nothing to do with each other. I'm an oil painter. You don't use fuel for painting oil just because Americans use the same word for it. It's not the same thing. I know. I know. It's okay. A masterpiece could have been destroyed. Okay. It's, it wasn't. It's going to be okay. Do you want your blanket? Yes, I do. <laughs> I need my Van Gogh blanket. <laughs> so even if Ellie doesn't, you know, engage in the heroics that she does, for me, she's on a pedestal just for sticking her hands in uh, that one big pile of shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's a big pile of shit. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I pick up poo with my hands every day. Like, I have a bag around my hand, of course, but I do that Mm. every day. Nonetheless, there is no amount of money you could pay me to put my hand in that pile. Yeah, go elbow deep in it. Uh, No, 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 thank you. (laughs) I don't touch anything larger than my boy's poo. Yeah, and she's so cool about it while the guys are like, oh, I got shit on my shoe. Yeah, a little bit gets on her leg. Just a little bit. I freak out every time. Could you imagine how badly she must have been smelling after the lights went off? I wouldn't get near the pile because of that. Yeah. No, I'm talking about after shit hits the fan, the real shit and the metaphorical shit hits the fan. How badly she must have been stinking in that control room. Yeah. And I do really appreciate this scene, though, because that pile is realistic. Who piles Mm -hmm. are one of the things that's always missing for monster movies. Yeah, that's true. This is something that Sam Jackson actually said about Kong Skull Island. He was like, during the press tour, he's like, you know, he shouldn't be that hard to find. Just look for the giant pile of shit somewhere <laughs> that we never see. 
Yeah, that's true. And I think Ellie's sit down with John is one of the best scenes in the mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. This very quiet scene. Laura Dern is fantastic here. Yeah, she is. And she's not screaming at him, which is great. She's exhausted. Yeah. Not just physically, but dealing with this man, trying to get through to him. Mm-hmm. And I empathize with her in that moment. I understand as a woman who has been married to a man for nearly 11 years. I get it, honey. <laughs> yeah, and that's why she needs the ice cream. Spare no expense. Nope. I like that his first priority after the lights go off is to finish all the ice cream because it's going to melt. I understand that impulse. <laughs> that's my Steve Rogers moment for the day. Uh-huh. As I have said to uh, my friends and family, if I make it to 80 one day, I'm eating everything. I will be right there with you holding a bucket for you to throw up. Thank you. That is so <laughs> genuinely very sweet. <laughs> because I will very likely need someone to do that. And I don't know if my husband's going to make it to 80. So we'll see. Or if he does, I don't think he'd be willing to do that. If I, if I was sick, that's one thing. If I'm just puking because I've eaten too much pie, that's a different. <laughs> and I think... One thing that Ellie says to John shines through above everything in terms of a woman needing to say this. And that is, and God, do I feel her on this one so hard. You can't think through this one, John. You have to feel it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because he doesn't want to feel. Yes. Because if he lets himself feel, he's going to realize what a colossal mistake he's made. Yes. And this goes right back to that discussion of masculinity, you know? Mm-hmm. I think this gets overlooked and definitely glossed over, even now, let alone by audiences in 1993. Mm-hmm. But women are generally more intuitive. We all know this. But beyond that, mm-hmm. women have a much better understanding of not being able to control things because of how our bodies work or don't work. Dan and society is large. And I don't think that men are inherently not intuitive. It's just they're raised in such a way that they need to shut that down. Women are too. In different yeah. if for different way in different ways and for different reasons. Right. But I think too, there is a lot to be said for the constant ebb and flow that we as women go through hormonally just each month. We are mm-hmm. innately used to that kind of change. Right. And men do not have that within them. True. And of course, we get an absolutely amazing line that has so much infused in in with it, along with Laura Dern's perfect eye roll. When Hammond wants to go on the rescue mission instead, we can discuss sexism and survival situations when I get back. (laughs) Fucking done. Mic drop. Yeah. Not even entertaining this old man. The fact that she said that in a very polite way says just how much patience she has oh my god yeah see that's how you know i don't know about alan grant but ali sattler is going to be an amazing mother mm-hmm. and then lex is truly like the ultimate hero here she saves the day by hacking the security system and rebooting the door locks yeah i mean was it realistic not at all of course not. but she did but just the fact that they made the girl the hacker is so mm-hmm. important too. Yeah. 
Because, I mean, the only time back in the early 90s a woman would have been represented in the STEM field, she would have also been shown to be mousy and unattractive and... Completely in love with the hero. Or repel- and repellent to men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, in every way. Yeah. And the fact that she's only 13, too. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would have wanted to be friends with her, but she would have been too good for me. I would have annoyed her and she would have said, nope, okay. no thanks. And did you notice that like when she gets past Nedry's bullshit that he actually called his system Nedryland? No, I did not. He did. It doesn't surprise me. Yeah. With, with the kind of guy he is. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, Hammond and Nedry have a lot more in common than Hammond would like to believe. Mm-hmm. Okay. So lastly, we come to the relationships in this movie, which is what I think is truly the heart of Spielberg. Yeah. I love Ellie and Alan as a couple. Yeah. It's, and it's also so blink and you'll miss it. Mm-hmm. It's subtle. These are two mature people. You can see this is a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they both respect each other. Totally. And their feels. This division they have over kids it's not even so much a division it's more of a discussion mm-hmm. that they're having it's a conversation more people should have and it was definitely refreshing to see that in a movie in 1993 mm-hmm. and i mean to be fair definitely more millennials are having that conversation yes now. thank god because our parents certainly didn't true and I love Spielberg adding the wrinkle of the kids, which he also didn't have to do to make this Mm -hmm. kind of movie. But that's Spielberg for you. We got to have family dynamics. Right. Yeah. And it's just right, too. We don't see those kids till 38 minutes in. Mm -hmm. It's a nice wrinkle in there. Yeah. And I do love Alan, the way he is with the kids at the beginning. He's allergic to them. (laughs) It's hilarious. Yeah, just as he's allergic to computers. And just like he does with us, you know, Joey Mazzello does eventually win him over with that, just that brightness and interest. And, you know, that leads into such a lovely relationship between Lex and Tim. Yeah, it does. They have some great banter, you know, the way they rag on each other, but you could see the love is still there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Tim saying God bless you to the dinosaur. <laughs> Is everything after his sister is it just is. covered in snot. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and she's an amazing big sister trying to save her little brother from the raptors at the end. That's sibling goals right there. Absolutely. Yes. They both love each other. They both care deeply for each other. And that sibling, you know, push and pull is always there. The, the teasing and all of that. But it's out of love. It's not malice. Definitely. You could, you just know like those two are going to be close when they get older. Mm-hmm. And especially after this. Yeah. And the divorce too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, poor, poor Lex, especially if that kid didn't get therapy, she was going to have abandonment issues for the rest of her life. Yeah. I was actually wondering how much therapy did these kids need after this entire ordeal? Yeah. And I just have this feeling too, that they stayed in touch with Alan and Ellie. Okay. There's just that feeling because Ellie would have had that maternal instinct to want to keep in touch with them. And I think Alan came to genuinely like those kids. In my mind, I could see Lex, T, 
teaching Alan how to use computers. Yeah. Yeah. And I could see Tim, you know, taking classes with him if he's, you know, teaching at a university or being on a dig with him in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And two, that's a trauma bond. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the progression of things with Elliot Allen is great too. I love her trying to make Alan ride with the kids. Yeah. Some people would actually think that she's being manipulative. She is. She is, but not in a, in a, in a nasty way. In a loving way. This is a real relationship. Yeah. These are the things you do. Mm-hmm. She, it's like exposure therapy for him. <laughs> and it shows you that they know each other well. She knows he's not going to be pissed at her for this. Mm-hmm. They've clearly been together for a while. They know how to handle yeah. each other. Mm-hmm. This is like the equivalent of me making my husband a shake with spinach in it and putting a post-it on it that says, drink me and leaving it on his desk. <laughs> and you know what's also very cute? It's quick. You can blink and miss it. But at the beginning, it's clear that Lex has just a little bit of a crush there on Dr. Grant. Yeah, she does. It's adorable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's perfect for her age. Yeah, of course. She's 13. And what's lovely, too, like I said, it's a discussion. Alan's uncomfortable with the kids at first, clearly, but he's willing to entertain the idea because this is something Ellie wants. He does love her. Mm -hmm. I think his work will always come first for him, but he's clearly invested in this relationship because we see him asking Malcolm about kids. It's it's on his mind. Yeah. And that's a good partner. Even if you don't end up on the same page, which they don't in the sequels, at least consider it. Yeah. If you are able to consider it, give it your best effort as much as you can and still not agree. That's fair. Absolutely. And you figure it out Mm -hmm. or you don't figure it out. Right. And this is why I never know what to make of those looks between Ellie and Alan at the end on the helicopter. Mm -hmm. Are we supposed to think he wants kids now? I took it as Ellie looking at him like, see, that's not so bad. And him going like, yeah, you know, they're not so bad. These kids are okay. I care about them. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he'd totally be on board for having one. Mm -hmm. And like I said, the sequels ruin that, you know, the idea of possibly keeping it open-ended. Because she does, they do split up. Ellie gets married and and has a couple of kids and then saves his ass in Jurassic Park 3. Okay. Yeah, by sending in the cavalry down there. (laughs) Man, I tell you, this movie has great plans and payoffs, but you want to see some place where they don't work, the next two movies. They don't exist. Ugh. And then it's so simple, but it's one of my favorite shots of the movie. And I'm glad... Spielberg kept it on Alan as they're leaving the expression there on Sam Neill's face. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's this mixture of awe, relief, but also disappointment. Yes. John Hammond is going to be upset about this, but nobody is going to grieve for this park like Alan Grant. Yeah, true. And because at this time he thinks this is it. Chapter over. As it should have been. Yeah. These guys should never leave the island and they will die off because of the, the Lysine contingency. Yeah. 
I wish the next time I had seen Sam Neill was simply in Ragnarok. <laughs> which was everything. Mm-hmm. All right. So here at the end of Jurassic Park, what do you say out of six Infinity Stones? What are you giving it? Mm, I would give it a one out of six. Stop being, stop being one of the eight percenters, <laughs> you asshole. I have to. How else will I piss you off and push your buttons? All right, you could have tried balance out my six out of six here. Yeah, somebody has to, right? Well, that's three in a row for me. We're going to have to do a stinker soon. <laughs> yeah, I will give this a, a five out of six because there's small niggles here and there, but I do really enjoy this movie and I would watch it again. Definitely. Yes, and I know I will. It'll probably happen this weekend when I just need something on in the background. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's no hope for you. Well, thanks so much for joining us at the movies today, everybody. <laughs> I'm Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. Let us know what you think about Jurassic Park on Twitter and Instagram at the Madam's Pod. And you can visit our website, themadamspod.com, where Infinity Stones will always be a girl's best friend. Oh, I put the character names there just for you. I have IMDb open because, you know, me, useless creature that I am. I'm not like the raptor. I, I do not remember. <laughs>